I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the basis of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! All right, it's a great day for a baseball game or talk about business. <laughs> hey, uh, we've got a really exciting, another international guest with us today. Uh, so this guy, he's worked for some of the biggest tech companies in the world, created a consulting and management company out on his own and has three separate businesses in that portfolio with over 140 employees, produces a podcast focusing on management, and you can grab a free seminar from him on his website for online businesses and management. So very excited to have Mads Singers. That is a great name. I got to hit you up about that name in a second. But uh, welcome to the show, Mads. Glad to have you on board here. Thank you very much, Randy. And I'm super excited to be here as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just as we were chatting earlier, so you really have kind of lived all over the place, all over the world. Where do you call home now? Right now, uh, the closest to call home is Vietnam. And I would say that's uh, a little bit coronified. So luckily, Vietnam haven't got any corona, but uh, my wife and I have been staying here for a bit over a year, kind of hiding it out, uh, which is great. Typically, over the last few years, we've spent a lot of time in the Philippines. Uh-huh. And prior to that, I've lived in sort of Eastern Europe, the UK, uh, Ireland, and so on. So I've, I've been a lot around. You've been around the neighborhood. Very good. <laughs> All right. Definitely. So the, your name is fabulous. I love Mads. Is that, uh, is it short for something? Is it, I've never come across anybody intentionally called Mads. I've called people, you are just daft or mad, but you know, what, what is that name? That is, is it a family well, name? What do you got? It's Danish. So Danish. it's, uh, it's actually one of the more popular male names in Denmark. And actually, when I was a kid, it was the most popular male name. Wow. So not short for anything. In Denmark, we like short names, so (laughs) make life simple. Um, There's a similar version of the name in other languages, usually done with a T. So like in Sweden and Germany and so on, they they have a Matt or Matt. Okay, there we go. Again, thanks for coming on the show today, Mads. Tell us about your portfolio of businesses. What are they? What do they do? Yeah, so basically, as you said, I used to work corporate for some cool companies like Xerox and IBM. Unlike most entrepreneurs, I loved my job. I I loved managing lots of people and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, However, the key thing for me and what's always made the biggest difference to me is really the ability to help people and and really change the world, to put it politely. And I obviously managing hundreds of people, you, you do impact a lot of people's lives. But I found that going on out on my own as a management coach, working with many, many businesses, I can really impact the world much bigger. And basically, my mission is better management, right? I think pretty much anyone that have had a day job have had a bad manager. And it's not necessarily the person's fault. 
it's more a question that most companies absolutely suck at management training. Mm. Uh, with, a, with a few exceptions, of course. But again, I've worked in some of the biggest companies in the world and not wanting to shine a bad light on them. I would say there's definitely room for improvement in pretty much every company I've worked with in terms of leadership and management training, right? Like if, if you take a, a typical organization, you know, you promote someone in and say, hey, you're now going to be head of customer service. right? And then they buy them a bunch of customer service trainings. And you're like, no, this person is moving into a managerial role. If, to, and I would they say, know if, the job. yeah, if they're fortunate, they'll buy them some customer service training. Otherwise, it's right. like, hey, you got here's your new title, go get it. Right, and what, one of the things like that's very common. People always say, "Oh, but you know, the the best sales guy doesn't necessarily make the best sales manager." Right, and and it, that is to some extent correct. However, if someone have the skill set to learn and to push themselves all the way to being the best sales guy or the best engineer or the best whatever, they generally also have the ability to learn management. Mm. Now, will they be the best manager from day one? Probably not. But most people weren't the best sales guy the first day on the job either. Right. right? So the reason, in my experience, that most of these best something doesn't work out as a good manager is really because it's a totally totally different thing and if you get no support you get no training just like any other job role you're probably not going to do very well right so really my mission is really helping and i i I primarily work with online business owners i I do have some brick and mortar clients but i I work mostly with with uh, online business owners right and really help them i mean you know, some of these guys, I mean, there's some very young guys amongst them as well, but, you know, suddenly people start a business, they've never managed staff, they have lots of success, success and suddenly they find themselves having 5, 10, 20 people and have no idea how to manage them, mm. right? Uh, and that's really where I love helping, right? Because the difference it makes, like teaching both the owner but also the sort of senior management team, good management makes such a huge difference, mm-hmm. right? And like, I, I see it every single day. I, I literally have clients talking about, you know, their happiness and, and so on from from changing their perspective, from changing like, particularly the amount of time they work and so on and so forth. So yeah, that's that's fantastic. So that mm. that that is my true passion. I absolutely love management, mm. and I love building teams. Like I love building companies. I, I have a rule because, like most entrepreneurs, I could start seventeen businesses tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but I have a rule. I don't I don't start a new business until the previous one can pretty much run itself. Mm. So after starting initially my management consulting company, I started a, a big outsourcing company in the Philippines. And with that business, basically, we, we started out, probably been running about five years now, and we are currently about 130 people uh, in that business. Yeah. Like most businesses, it typically takes two and a half, three years mm. until the business is solid and self-sustained and, and so on and so forth. So basically, when it had been running for about three years, I had put in place the right systems and I basically, and I still do uh, run that business with basically two hours a week. Wow. So I have, I have two senior managers and 
Uh, I meet with them on a one-to-one basis each week, and I do a team meeting with the two of them together each mm-hmm. week. And that's basically, yeah, that's roughly two hours that it, it takes me to to run that company. Okay. And then lastly, I've started a, a media publishing company, which is all around things like SEO and basically building content websites and, and monetizing those. Again, honestly, I can build a company in niche I like, uh, but <laughs> for me, it's more about finding finding people who are really good at something and you know, helping put a team around them and helping start a business with them and, and really give them the opportunity to shine. And that's what I love doing. Terrific. So you've got uh, really a, a diverse kind of experience. Still probably in the tech side, uh, uh, online, you know, I'll say that kind of loosely, but kind of in an online services, online businesses and, and technology side. I, I wanted to touch base on something. So, you know, you're talking about the best sales guy gets promoted to become the best sales manager. A vein of that conversation you were going down was that, you know, if the guy had the desire and the drive to be the best sales guy, he probably could do the same to be a a great manager as well. There's something innate within them. I'm curious though, do you think that that's true? You know, if the guy isn't really motivated, I'm wondering like the motivation factor in that. I, I think a lot of sales guys that I know that are like hardcore sales guys because they are really motivated. They want to be number one and they want to earn a great load of money as well because good sales guys can really earn a significant amount of revenue for themselves, a great financial benefit. Oftentimes on the management side, you know, it, it's really not quite as do this and you earn this uh, as like in a sales transaction. I wonder, you know, if you find that that motivation factor plays in, in that kind of transition from actual sales to uh, to manager. Typically, you know, companies do it differently, right? But mm-hmm. if I run a business, the sales manager salary is based on what the teams deliver, mm. right? So again, uh, it's definitely a variable salary. But in the end of the day, if that person has the skills to make the team deliver fantastic results, they get rewarded, Yeah. right? And it, like the, the whole thing is, I mean, if we take sales as an example, right? Well, actually, it doesn't really matter what we're talking about. But 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 the thing is, when you move from being an individual contributor mm. to being a manager or a team leader or what, whatever the, the sort of level is, right? But when you move, like that mindset shift is so critical. Like because the, the challenge is most people continue with the same mindset that make them a good salesperson. Mm. Uh, or a good engineer, whatever. The the problem is that will never work because being a good salesperson, it's all about you. Mm. And the thing is, when you're a manager, you don't matter, right? So when you're a manager, you don't matter. What matters is the team and the results they deliver. You can, in principle, like work your ass off. You can work 25 hours a day if you like, but in the end of the day, if the team doesn't deliver, you're not better off. Now, my experience is that most sales guys are super competitive, right? Right. They want to make more money, but fundamentally they want to make a bigger impact. And when I, when I, I mean, again, it's down to motivation hundred percent because I mean, if someone's not motivated for something, you know, you, you're not going to force them to do it. Mm. But most sales guys, like, yes, the money is, is definitely important. I mean, for me, if, if you have a great sales manager, they can make a lot more money than, 
the foot soldiers, right? Right. If if everything is structured the right way, and if they can deliver the right results for the business, right? And and I my experience is that when you get them into the right mindset, when you teach them the right skills, like they are just as competitive as they are delivering their sales in helping their team get to that level. But the fundamental, and this is what's very difficult, is it's not about them doing the training. It's not about them doing everything. And and right. that is the mindset that's so different between an individual contributor mm. and a manager, right? And and fundamentally, if you if you don't have a coach, if you don't get training, if you don't help change that mindset before you move into a management role, you're not going to succeed. I do want to get into this concept around mindset, because I know that's a big topic you like to pursue. Before we go down that path, though, uh, you know, path actually is a great word. So here you were working for these large corporations. I'm sure you were successful. You were probably leading teams there, right? So, you know, you just didn't start like, hey, I like teams and uh, I'm going to build teams. You probably were in charge of large teams in these other organizations. What led you down the path, though, to say, you know, I want to do this on my own. I want to create something different or bigger? What was that motivation that took you down that path? Yeah. So what, what happened was, I mean, I was, I was working at IBM at the time and a couple of years before I left IBM, I actually started coaching people outside. Right. Uh, And, and the thing is like, maybe I should actually go a step back. So basically (laughs) when I was 18, before turning 18, I've basically been, I wanted to do something with computers because I'm pretty IT techish and so on, right? What happened was when I was 18, I got my first job. Basically, I got a manager that in the span of three months totally changed my worldview. And I literally went from, I want to be an IT guy to I want to do what she does. She was an amazing manager. And I really, I saw the impact she had on people. You know, my whole childhood, I've been told like, you mm. should love school because when you start working life, life is going to be hell, Right. And I got this manager and everyone in the team loved working. And I'm like, that's great. You know, I, I want I want to make people love work. Right. And basically what happened was that fundamentally within a span of three months, I literally turned around my mindset and I figured out that I wanted to be a manager. And I started pretty much since I was 18, I started very, very rigorous self-development. I have never been a fan of school and the idea of going taking some kind of random management education would probably have made me not go into management if that was a requirement. <laughs> but but fundamentally, I yeah I, I spent 10 plus years reading a book a week, uh, really spending a lot of time and effort and self-development. Fundamentally, I mean, I ended up in a situation where I was giving a lot of responsibility and so on. And it was always a joy. Now, the biggest problem I always had, even inside these last corporations, was like, I love management. I right. love talking about it. I like. I love sitting down in a management meeting and you know, how can we do better? But reality was, like most people around, it was a job that didn't really care very much. Right. And it was very difficult for me. Like when you have a lot of passion about something, it's very difficult when people around you are just like, yeah, whatever. So I basically that was why I started coaching people because I was like, you know. I need an outlet for my for my passion here. And, and basically, I started coaching first people in other large organizations. And, and then I started with entrepreneurs and so on. And what, what I really liked about entrepreneurs, what 
was direct impact I saw. I mean, because if I coach a couple of managers in Coca-Cola, it's not like I see Coca-Cola double in size over a couple of weeks, right? Mm. Whereas when I was when I was coaching people in small businesses, like literally within six, nine months, like sometimes a business double or triple, I, I definitely feel I made a much bigger impact. And I started that a couple of years before I left. And then when I left, it was, it was kind of a situation where you know, I just felt like I could make so so much bigger difference just working with entrepreneurs and, right. and so on. Let, let me maybe retrace this a little bit. So you decided, hey, I want to be a manager. I love the idea. I love the concept. You just started digging in, kind of self-taught and pulling a bunch of different resources. I'm sure in the various positions that you had, you probably kind of said, hey, this is going to be my kind of live lab. <laughs> I'm going to try out some of these different concepts or theories. Yeah. But did you also have though, I know sometimes when people are influenced by others and on a good side and a bad side, like sometimes you're influenced like that is the worst manager I've ever had. And I'm going to do things completely opposite of what that guy did. Or you've got a great manager and she was incredible. I learned so much from her. She was a great mentor to me. So did you have those experiences as well, kind of as inputs into your management concepts? I would, uh, I can be very polite and said, I've worked with a lot of people and I've definitely had managers that was better than others. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Enough said, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so you did though have some influence. Was there a strong influencer though that did help mentor you? So as you now look to coach and to uh, mentor others, did you have that same kind of influence on you? I mean, I was uh, honestly, and, and I don't know where it comes from, to be honest with you, because, you know, most 18 year olds don't go gung ho on personal development and so on. But literally, I mean, when, when I get the fire lit in my ass and, and I was literally like, I'll, I'll, in the beginning, like, I didn't know what books to read. Like, I'll literally go into a library and be like, do you have anything on like management? You no, know, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I wasn't picking good books because I had no one to refer to and so on. Uh, what what I started within the business. So we, we worked in various shifts, right? So many days when I finished my shift, I would literally go around to other managers in the company who were still working. And I'll be like, hey, you know, can I sit and see what mm -hmm. you're doing for, for an hour or something? Uh, and I'll get to know a bunch of the managers and team leaders and that kind of thing. And I would just constantly ask them, like, what do you learn management? Right. What, what did you do? And how did you do it? And we had this uh, in, internally in the company that was this uh, sort of virtual learning system at this time. It was, it was in the early 2000s. It was called Skillsoft, I think. So it was a, it was a fairly big one used by many companies. Yeah. And within the company, they had a learning and education department. And I, I think they said the, the most courses someone had ever taken on that platform was like 18. And basically in a couple of years, I did 248 or something <laughs> like that. Um, but and it was still like all sorts of like, here's a, here's a four hour thing about how to run a meeting. Here's right, a right. two hour thing of how to do this. So it, it was all like sort of quite specific things, but everything from a couple of hours to some of them was like multiple right. days. But yeah, that was... Okay. So yours just still just consuming. You were just like driving and consuming information. Even after all of these years, is there a book or a couple of books? You're like, these were great books. I love these books. I think the, the one that makes the biggest difference for me was called uh, First Break All the Rules by a guy called Marcus Buckingham. Okay. Yep. And I think... 
the, the essence of that book is really that, you know, management is not being a certain way. It's figuring out your own strengths and weaknesses and figuring out how you can become the best manager mm. with those. Because the, the challenge that many people have is they look at like, you know, Elon Musk or Steve Jobs. And they're like, right. I have to be like these guys. Right. right. And the thing is, if you're not an asshole wanting to call your people at 3 a.m. in the morning, don't be like these guys. Right. Right. If you're trying to be the one thing I learned with managers is if you're trying to be something you're not, you absolutely will fail. Right. Because you like just like relationships. Right. Like if you go into a relationship pretending to be something you're not, you know, you can you can pretend for a certain period of time. But at some point of point in time, you're going to run out of steam. And, and it's the same with management. Like you have to figure out what is your strength? What is your weakness? How how do you take the best version of you? How do you make the best version of you into the leader that you can be? Right. right? And that, that's really what I work, like a lot of my clients, that's really what I work with them on because that is not a way that most people typically look at this. They're always like, oh, well, if you have to be a manager, like silly things like, oh, you can't be a friend with your people who work for you. Mm. I'm like, if you can't make the right decisions, if you are a friend with the people who work for you, totally correct, you shouldn't. But hey, many people can Right. So the whole point is that you need to figure out for yourself, what are the rules for you? Right. What are the things that work for you and what doesn't work for you? And how do you deliver the best result with who you are? I love that. Figure out what works for you. Peter Drucker. You ever uh, read any of Peter Drucker? I love Peter Drucker. He, he's one of my all-time faves. Every, everything he, uh, the, the one thing I would say with, with Drucker is, and I can understand it. Most people find it a little bit boring. Like it's, it's yeah. very logic. It's very dry. He's right? a little dry. Uh, yeah. I, I would say the effective executive is probably his most condensed book and, and it's not yep. too long. I mean, some of his book is like 500, 800 pages. No, I love the effective right? executive is probably like a perennial bestseller. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But, but something like the effective executive is, is fantastic, right? But yeah, I, I, have, I have a few others. Marshall Goldsmith, what's it called? Oh yeah, Goldsmith. What, what, got you, what got you here won't get you there. Right, right. And he's still very active. He posts a lot of stuff out on LinkedIn and he's still churning but, uh, out content. But what, what got you here won't get you there is also a fantastic book. Uh, I would say particular if you are a very assertive person. Mm. I've, I've used a lot of the learnings from that book in terms of helping people who, you know, sometimes make a lot of enemies or right. sometimes piss people off and so on. That, there's a lot of very good workable advice in that book. Also, I mean, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence sure, People, sure. also a fantastic book. But yeah, I, good. I could talk books for hours because I, similar to you, especially earlier in my career, I just consumed business and management books. I mean, I, I was like, just like that every other week I was like picking up a new book and uh, reading all kinds of stuff. So here's, wanted, the, here's the thing that, that, that I, it, it took me a while to learn it, right? But I, I got most of the theory because before I could use it. And here's the thing. It worked well for me because very often when I made a mistake or I didn't get the output I expected, it was very easy for me to see what I did wrong. Like very often I'll be like, oh shit. Like it doesn't, the fact that I had all the theory doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. Right. But it meant that when I made a mistake, 
I was very, very quick at picking up what I had done wrong, right? Like I remember some of the first management stuff I was looking at was like how to do business flights as a professional manager. First, I was kind of like, why am I reading this? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be a manager someday. So, you know, I might as well know it. But the whole point was that it, it wasn't about, you know, knowing something about how to fly business or, you know, how to, like, it, it was a lot of advice with like only carry hand luggage because if your right. suitcase disappears, you're screwed and all right, that kind of right. stuff. But the whole thing was, it wasn't something I needed at that point in time, but it's something that had been super valuable not to figure out, if that makes sense. Repeat that again, because that was kind it, of. It's been super valuable not to having to figure it out when I need it. Right. Like I've had, I've got the knowledge early on, so I haven't had to you, learn the hard lessons. You hadn't had had to apply it yet. So yeah. maybe that it was back there in the subconscious, kind of waiting to ah here. Ah, yeah. That's good. Hey, so on your website and on your podcast page, you've got a great quote, and I want to read the quote. And I want to get your insight behind it. And so here's the quote. Human beings are almost unique in having the ability to learn from the experience of others and are also remarkable for their apparent disinclination to do so. <laughs> Dig into that. What, what does that mean? You know, what leads you to that belief? So first of all, I used to think people was unique. And then I spent 15 years utilizing the DISC framework and I realized they're absolutely not. That said though, I think when you wake up from that surprise and, and realize how predictable you are and how predictable people right, around you are, right. that's a valuable lesson to learn. I, I think again, I mean, it, particularly around the learning aspect, right? It comes back to this management stuff. Like so many people have gone down the road but so many people are doing it. Like so many small business owners literally have no idea what they're doing in management. So many people around have learned the lessons the hard way, but so many small business owners who isn't spending the time to, to grow themselves. I mean, fundamentally, like I have a course on management, right? And it's literally like four or five hours. We're not talking 17 weeks or, right. you know, a, a year's training. Like we're talking four or five hours. That's going to help significantly in terms of mindset, in terms of the most critical processes and so on. It It isn't rocket science in that degree, right? Like it's not like you can become significantly better with a relatively small investment of time. So, and you mentioned about your courses and stuff, and I just want to remind people they can go to your website, madsingers.com, check out your various courses and your free seminar that you're giving away there as well. So with this, you know, that people are really actually are predictable and that sometimes they consume this content, but they don't apply it. This disinclination, uh, as you say, you know, what's the obstacle? What is it people can't get over themselves? Uh, is there something that you found that tends to be, you know, kind of along like, Hey, it's predictable. This is what people do as, as there's a, a trend that you see is like, this is why people have a challenge. Well, I mean, different people have different challenges depending on their personality. What I would say, like with my training, for example, I talk a lot about mindset. Mindset is not really something about implementing. It's about understanding. Mm -hmm. So you cannot implement most of the stuff I, I talk about. But the thing is, if you 
listen and understand the mindset part, you will still be significantly better because ultimately, I mean, as I said earlier, right, like moving from an individual contributor to a management role, even a low level management role, it's a much, much bigger step than moving from a low level management role, 10 steps up in an organization. The mindset between an individual contributor and a manager is so, so different. And if if you get the mindset right, if you if you get the right sort of attitude towards management, it, it really solves a lot of problems. Not everything, but mm-hmm. it really solves a lot of problems. And so that so that's the mind the mindset is really is beginning. I don't even, I don't know that I want to say it is the full solution, but it is certainly is the first step to awareness or improvement and such. Okay. I want to get back to this mindset, but we're going to take a little break here. This is that part of the show, Mads, that I was trying to warn you about. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. It is the seventh inning stretch. Now, Mads, I'm, you grew up in Denmark, so I'm assuming you probably were not um, uh, a, a big follower of uh, MLB and uh, Major League Baseball and such. But uh, this part of the show we do, this is what we call running the bases, right, of businesses. And we kind of tie everything in with baseball a little bit. And so I have my research team knowing that you focus on management. So they dug in, kind of find a baseball-related question that you might be able to uh, connect with here. And uh, all right, you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, all right. So in sports, as you know, and you probably follow football or soccer, maybe, I don't know. Do you follow that at all? European guys, you kind of like that. Yeah. Sports agents, right? They are the, the managers of athletes in the sports world. So they play the critical role um, for their athletes. They negotiate the contracts, promote their clients to the teams and to companies to help build the market for their players. Sports agents. Now this is an interesting business, actually, you know, these, these guys receive generally about four to ten percent of an athlete's playing contract, and then an additional ten to twenty percent of the athlete's endorsement contract. So they can really begin to really enjoy a nice payday. So here's the question for you, Mads: Who is the highest sports agent in professional sports? Following soccer, I would guess it's a guy called Mino Raoli or something in that direction. Mm. Um, but that's all I know from soccer. I'm not really super aware of many other sports. Okay. Well, that's all right. So this guy, I'm going to give you a little background on him. He represents about 96 professional athletes. His name is Scott Boris. Uh big U.S. based guy. Want to take a gander at what the value of his sports contracts are, are worth? The total value? Yeah. Probably a couple of billions. Yes, exactly. Dang, right there. $2 billion in sports contracts. And actually, I think this number is a little bit old back in 2018, but yeah, big numbers. All right. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? Definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll swing back into it. Play ball. All right. So, Mads, back onto this concept before we get into the stretch. In your courses, on your podcast, you address, you introduced it already a little bit, mindset 
and the importance of having the right mindset for success. How does a small business owner challenge their own mindset? How do they begin to make adjustments that can be beneficial for them? Many small business owners start out from a, let's call it like a freelancer point of view. They often, you know, if you start a business and you adjust you, then you're really not a business owner. You're really an individual contributor to a large extent in terms of mindset, because mm. if the business is only you, you, you really have yourself a glorified full-time job or a, a glorified job, right? So when I look at my management consulting, uh, in the beginning when I was only doing coaching and consulting, then, I mean, in principle, it's a glorified job, right? Because okay. if I go to hospital for three months or whatever, no money comes in. So fundamentally, the, the, the key change in mindset really needs to happen around expansion, right? And making the company ready for expansion. I think that the fundamental challenge that most small business owners have is what they actually provide. Because most small businesses are tend to be quite desperate for customers and they always put their arms out and they're like, any customers come my way, right? If someone calls them up and say, hey, you know, I have this thing, can you help me? 99% of the time, even if it's something people never done, they keep saying yes. And, and the problem is that mindset is it will make you a little bit of money short term, but it's not building your business longer term. The way I look at a business, particularly a small business, is it is the execution of a particular process in a narrow niche. So that means you have it for most businesses, it is one process that you execute again and again and again. And the reason why I like to look at it like that is that most people like saying, let's say I build websites. Anyone that you need a website, come my way. Right. Now here's the problem. When you do that, you know, someone needs an e-commerce website, someone needs, uh, someone is a coach and need a website for coaching. The, the problem is you can never build a single effective process around that, that it's easy for you to let go of and where you can actually build solid expertise, mm -hmm. right? So from a website perspective, for example, if you're like, you know, we only work with e-commerce businesses in, I don't know, the retail industry, and here's what we do. We build a basic frame, uh, basic website that follow, follow a certain framework, and this is the cost, or this is the cost options or whatever. Right. But you have a very, very set package with a very, very clear deliverable. Because when you do that, first of all, what happens is, one, you become a master in that area. The biggest problem most web developers have is they add no value. Because if they have a dentist one day and a clothes designer the next day and a coach the third day, they don't know anything about those niches. But if you're constantly working within a, a limited niche and within a limited process, you have a process that you can keep improving and keep bettering. And every time you improve your process, it basically makes it faster. It makes it more cost-effective for you. Now, here's the kicker. The faster, the more cost-effective it becomes, the more you can charge because the, the, it, you don't charge necessarily based on the time you spend. You charge based on the outcome. Right. And the better the outcome you can deliver, the more money you can charge. Now, a website is just one example. I mean, it doesn't really, let, let's say you're a carpenter, right? Go down the same route. And most carpenters like, yeah, I can do anything with wood and nails and screws or whatever. Now, here's the thing. If you go in and specialize and say, I only do roofs or I only do 
I don't know, build a garage or whatever. If you do one thing and you do it really, really well, first of all, your branding is going to be so much easier. Mm. Two, your marketing is going to be so much easier because you're not like, uh, I do stuff with wood. Anyone needs stuff with wood? If you're like, hey, you know, I build, you know, garages and here's the last 17 garages I built. Do you need one? So both in terms of aggressive marketing, going out and, and trying to pitch clients, uh, but also in terms of, of inbound marketing, you're, you're so much easier finding clients. And I mean, web development is probably one of the worst examples of how people do it. I, I think most people on planet Earth probably get three emails a week saying, hey, do you need a website? <laughs> we build websites, right? right. And it's like, it, there's no value in these things. Now, if I got an email saying, whatever, I build website for coaches, Here's the last 10 coaches I work with. Here's the results I gave, them, mm-hmm. gave for them. That would be interesting. Mm. But when someone is just like, you know, spamming out, this is what I do, this is what I do. Like, it's a little bit like a carpenter standing on the corner of the street saying, hey, I'm a carpenter. Or, hey, right, I'm a carpenter. Right. You know, if you're out there and you're, it's difficult to scale. But the more that you would narrow and your focus, specialize, define the processes, um, get that expertise, whether you use your example of the website developer or the carpenter, maybe we'll use the carpenter because that might be a little more relative to everybody that, you know, as that carpenter says, we are specializing in roofing, then that ability to scale and so instead of just Randy, the roofer out there and I'm doing every project, but then I, the more expert that I get, the more process that I can define, then it's easier to show somebody, train somebody. This is how we do it. This is our standards of operation. And so that now I've got Randy and, and Phil out there uh, as well doing roofing jobs and I can begin to focus on other aspects of building the business and scaling. Right. Is that exactly. And and the key thing here is most business owners that I start working with that tells me I'm the only one in my company that can do it. Fundamentally, again, they don't have a business because if they are out of commission for a period of time, life sucks. So as a business owner, if you're, if you're not just building yourself a glorified job, if you want to build a business, you have to scale down on the processes because the reason why it's only you, again, if you're a carpenter running around doing all sorts of different jobs, you're the only one who knows how to give a quote because, you know, you have some kind of way of doing it, right? You're the only one that can piece different pieces together. But if you have a solid process, that also helps you to do a quote because if you have a solid process, you know exactly how long it takes you, how much it costs you, mm. and that enables you to give a quote. Yeah, it, it is very much about bringing in sort of these small, narrow processes and really mastering them. Now, the, the thing is, when you master a process, when you have a solid business that's running with a solid process and you have a team doing it for you, yes, then you can go and add another process perhaps. That could either be an extension of the service so that you can sell your existing customers more, or it could be a similar service targeting a different market. Now, mm. often actually adding service that you can sell to existing clients is easier to scale with because it basically you can basically sell more to the same people that you're already selling to. Right. Whereas if you do the same thing, but you know, if you start with roofs and you master that and then you go to building something else that 
you know, might not be or generally wouldn't fit the same customer, then it'll be it'll take more to actually kick that off. Whereas if you have a bunch of existing customers that already want what your your new process, that's an easy way to basically quickly get more money in. Right. But don't do it before you master the first and make sure you put the same granularity of mastering the process into the second thing you do. And again, when you then master that, then you can do more. And you go, right? and, then, but and then it moves. Right. That there's huge companies that run on one process. Mm. If you look at companies like Coca-Cola, if you look at, I mean, there's huge companies that literally just do one thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, sometimes they put in glass bottle and sometimes in, in cans. But I mean, Coca-Cola, as an example, have one product. You, you don't need to be providing the services all over the range. Right, and right. it's the fastest way to not scale a business. Do you find, so this concept around mindset, and especially when you're talking about a small business owner and, and maybe either when you've started working with somebody and you've started having these conversations, do you find that that changing the mindset is the most difficult thing for somebody to do? No. Uh, changing the mindset is, uh, I think, when again, when, when people understand the how to look at things, mm. I mean, people are not making bad decisions on purpose or they're not making decisions that are holding them back on purpose. They're making them because they don't know better. I mean, I'm the same. Sometimes I make silly decisions. I don't make, I don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to make bad decisions today. I make decisions based on what I know at this point in time. You know, the more I learn, the more I realize now, I might realize five years ago I made a bad decision. That's how we live and learn. So after mindset then, what do you think is the next challenge or the obstacle for individuals? So if, if we take, I mean, we can take a couple of things, right? So yeah. you have a lot of people that are very detail-oriented, perfectionists, generally quite well-organized. Their biggest challenge is typically delegation, letting go. And very, very often, what happens is they, they're micromanaging. And what actually happens is not just they're slowing the company growth down, but they're actually killing the growth of their employees. Mm. Because what happens very frequently, and, and this often happens in smaller companies because they never grow big. But, but when you see a, a guy who have a team of five, 10 people and he can't grow, he or she can't grow, it's very often the case that it's someone who's trying to keep being the expert. He's keep being the roofer, keep being the, the person in charge. Is like a good example, and, and I ask clients for this. If you open their computer and you're constantly seeing the employees like asking questions like, I have this problem, what should I do? I have this right. problem, what should I do? If you're constantly seeing that, it's probably an indication that you might have some challenges in this area. Because if people constantly need your either permission or your advice to do what they're supposed to do or do what they're hired to do, then they either haven't got enough autonomy or they haven't been able to develop enough to learn to make those decisions. And that usually comes back to the business owners. So in most cases, when when that is the case, that is really about teaching the individual about better delegation and really Again, most people are not doing it to be bad business owners or bad managers. They're doing it because they want the best for the company. And they have this idea that if they make every decision, that will be the best for the company. But they don't necessarily understand the mindset about growth. They They don't understand how they got to where they are in the first place. 
And the thing is, all these people, the way they got to where they are is because they have been given trust, they've been given responsibility, they've been given ownership. That's why they've learned. Mm. But they're not giving that to the people that work for them. And therefore, right. what happens is their growth stagnates. And the business owner is always like, oh, yeah, but I don't have good staff. They can't do it. Most of the time, the reason they're not good, the reason they can't do it is because you've hindered their growth and you right. are hindering their growth. Right. Right. Some of that that's, is that's probably one of the ones I see the most. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's the owner holding on, and for probably a lot of different reasons, some of it, of their own personal kinds of obstacles. Uh, I know, I talk with a lot of uh, owners, and they think oh, I just can't turn it over to them because nobody's going to have as deep of a commitment to the success as I do. Basically, they don't trust the employees or their staff members to be able to do the things that they would, you know, think would be the right choices to do, which all kinds of comes back to, have you trained them appropriately? Have you enabled them to make those kinds of decisions appropriately? In, in most cases, actually, what it comes back to is the difference between giving people tasks and giving people responsibility. So mm. if I'm, if I'm mm. talking to you and I'm like, hey, Randy, you know, uh, I've hired you to do customer service. Here's how we do the customer service. Let me sit you down and show what we do. Right. Okay, great, Randy. Keep doing that. Right. That's how most business owners do it. And honestly, that's not very motivating. Right. If I if I approach it differently and say, Randy, I've hired you because I love the way you're communicating. I I want I want us as a company to communicate to our customers like that. I want us to be friendly. I want us to be helpful all that good stuff. I want you to be in charge of our customer service. You know, as a business owner, I have a ton of other things I need to look at, but customer service is really important to me. I really want you to be in charge. Uh, I, I know you don't know anything, everything about this stuff, but I want you to be in charge and I want to give you the responsibility to own this. And, you know, you can come to me anytime, uh, but I, I really want to give you the ownership mm. to try and figure out how can we do even better here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? The yeah, difference big, big, between big, those yes. two conversations yeah. is heaven and hell. Right, right. Well, in the second example there that you gave, you really are empowering the individual to say, listen, you're great. I want you to run with this, right? You're giving them authority uh, versus the other. The, the first example, you just said, this is how we do it. Don't, here's the manual, don't veer from it. <laughs> Just spew this and, stuff out. And, and, and the key thing is most of the business owners, again, that have this problem, mm. they often say like, oh, you know, my people have no initiative. They have no, they're not bringing up ideas. They're not yeah. telling me how we can improve because you've taken it all from them. Right. And that is fundamentally what you do when you're not empowering people. Yeah. Right? Oh, this is terrific stuff. Mads, I, I think we could talk for hours on uh, on this concept. I'm sure you could specifically. Definitely. So you're, I, I want to get back. You're offering this free seminar on your website, madsingers.com. What's the seminar about? Can you give a little flavor of what that's about in case uh, people would like to yeah. go in and, and check for it out? Sure. I mean, it's really trying to help people figure out some of these key challenge points they have. So, for example, you know, do they struggle with delegation time? One of the big challenges most people have in, in entrepreneurial roles is they're spending way too much time in their business. And the problem is you have all these, like, the hustler generation, like Gary Vaynerchuk and so on, who's like, yeah, you know, work 100 hours a day and all that kind of crap. Right. And, and the problem is 
if you work more than eight, nine hours a day, right. the next day, your input is going to suck, right? I mean, you can have a day here and there where you work 10, 12 hours. Okay, fair enough. But fundamentally, the amount of business owners that are making bad decisions who are doing really poor work because they're working too many hours on the wrong things mm. is scary, right? So that's one of the things that I talk a lot about. And, and really, again, it's it's helping figure out what is your sort of key pain points? What is your kind of key problems? Where is it you struggle? Because pe- people have different struggles, right? And they have different things that they're that they're fighting with. So that's that's really what it's about. All right, I I, I think just through the conversation, I think I'm going to go check out the seminar because I love. Again, I'm I'm still a student of uh, management myself. You know, so on this show, we try to as well provide some guidance, some advice uh, for what we would call rookies in the game, you know, the folks that are either just starting out or have just started their business uh, and or are thinking about starting a business. What kind of advice do you have for those rookies in the game? What are some things maybe that you could give them some nuggets to chew on? So I'll have a very big nugget here, which is never answer questions. It's one of the most important things that you can learn as a business owner. Now, and it comes back to the delegation chat we had earlier a little bit. The fundamental here is, again, most business owners end up as the oracle that solves all problems Mm. because they, not on purpose, but by accident, built a process in most of the staff's mind to go to the business owner when they have something they don't know what to do. So, for example, if I come to you and say, Randy, Randy, you know, I have this customer, he want a refund, should I give it to him or not? And problem is most business owners answer that question. Right. Now, what happens next time I have that exact same issue, I'll be like, Last time I had this problem, I ran to Randy. Let me do that again. So I come back to you and say, Randy, Randy, this customer wants a refund. What do I do? And that's, as a business owner, is how you end up, one, end up answering way too many questions, having a ton of interruptions. Two, it's how you end up, again, not empowering your staff, not your staff not growing because they're not thinking about the issue. Here's the problem. Most business owners think when they answer a question, staff learn from it. Right. And here's the answer. They absolutely do not. The way people learn is when I come to you and say, Randy, Randy, should I give them a refund? And you say, well, Mas, what do you think? And then I have to think and I have to actually go, hmm, <laughs> what would I do? Randy, I think we should give them a refund. Yeah. Why do you think that's the case? Well, you know, this happened, this happened, blah, blah, blah. And in 90% of the case, you 95, 98% of the case, you probably say, Sounds great. Uh, Why don't you do that? Learning to ask questions instead of answering questions is the way Mm. to let go of all these million questions. It's the way to develop your staff. Here's the thing. The third time I come to you and say, Randy, Randy, should I give them a refund? You know, you've asked me this question a few times. You always, I mean, you have a good way of thinking about it. You know, I trust you. Unless we're talking about millions of dollars, you know, you make the choice. So, but the fundamental is learn not to answer questions. Every time you answer a question, you're building a process in the head of the individual that every time they have that type of challenge, go ask you. And if that is actually the case that they need to do that, 
you should probably go and review what you're doing. Because if you've hired people to do a certain job and they're incapable of doing that without your input, no business. Right. That is a huge nugget. And you know, that lesson could be applied to so many different things. I'm just even thinking, so I'm a parent, uh, you know, I'm thinking of my kids. I'm like, ah, boy, it's a good reminder of what to do with my but, kids. But, but here's sometimes. the thing. Right. It's easier to just answer the question. Yes, it is. And that was the other thing that was kind of going through my mind is that sometimes all you you know, in the heat of the day and you're ro- rolling, you know, like if you're running a retail store or something and you're bouncing from one thing to the other. Yeah. Sometimes like you look at, yes, do the refund, you know, versus stopping having that two or three minute conversation to instruct and to coach as you had outlined longer investment in that moment. But ultimately it's the right thing to do because ultimately it will free you up from that constantly reoccurring. I I, I work with a client, right? And he had 10 staff members. Now we went in and looked and on average, he had 140 messages per day Hmm. of various degrees all happening in he was using slack or some Mm -hmm. kind of communication channel system right and he had an average 140 messages a day where he was answering like do this do that whatever after us working together for a month and a half he had an average of 10 questions a day nice (laughs) a month and a half that probably freed up like two or three hours of his day just now, doing that. Here's the thing. His staff became so much better yeah. because they felt empowered. They were learning. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow. Thank you, Mads, for being on the show. That is fabulous. Just so great to have you here today. Thank you for the time for joining us all the way from Vietnam. That is, fa- I think you're the first guest we've had from the, that's located in Vietnam anyway. So that is wonderful. And again, I'll remind folks that they can go to Mads Singers, Mads Singers, Dot com. There's two S's in the middle of that. And uh, check out your various seminars. You've got a free seminar on there. Your podcast is on the site as well, where you've got some just some really great conversations with a lot of great people on there and talking about management. And again, Mads, just thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Been a, a real, a, my pleasure. real pleasure. Love sharing. Yeah, yeah, very good. All right. And so as we say, that's the ball game. So thanks for joining us today. And if you liked our show, hey, please tell your friends, subscribe. And of course, we'd love your review. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.